for the What is nothing? Yeah, that's D. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Hello, hello. Welcome to That's Deep, Bro. I'm your host, Christina Pajitsky. Thank you for downloading this very important episode. I don't know why it's not. It's not that much more important. I just like to say that. Uh, Listen, if you don't know, uh, That's Deep Bro has an official podcast t-shirt. Finally. I thought, why not do it? It's um, it's at uh, my husband's website, TomSegura.com on the merch page. Check it out. Uh, You better get your life and get your... That's Deep Bro t-shirt available now. It's good. It's like a soft one. We chose a good quality. And it's black, of course. What doesn't go with black? What doesn't go with black? Also, I am ramping up. I mean, I'm not going to talk. I won't make the formal announcement. But let's just say I'm getting ready for something. And I'm going to run my hour April 13th and 15th. Brea Improv. April 28th and 29th, Sacramento Punchline, May 4th through 5th in Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live, May 19th through 20th, New York City at Gotham Comedy Club, June 1 through 3, Denver Comedy Works, uh, the downtown one, and then June 16th and 17th, June 16th and 17th, San Francisco at the Punchline. I love these clubs. I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'll just tell you, I'm finally, finally, finally going to fucking shoot an hour and I'm fucking, I'm not, I can't announce when and where, but I'm so excited to finally put this shit on film, son. It's been a long time coming. I'll announce the details on your mom's house. How about that? Because I think that's the, that's the mothership show, right? That's the, the flagship. Um, what else? Amazon. Are you, do you live in Canada? Do you live in the UK? Do you live in America? United States of America? You can use my banner. That's deeprowpodcast.com. There's like a little banner at the bottom of every post. Do your shopping as you normally would. Kicks back a little bit of change to the show. There you go. That's all I have, right? That's what I got. Um, any other announcements? No, no. Let's get into it. So much has happened to me this week. It was such a, it's, it's been a, a whirlwind. Just kidding. I know what the word is. The word is whirlwind. Let's all, guys, let's all circle back. Let's put a pin in it. Um, let's get, let's get social. Let's get into it on, uh, that's deeper. Who do I want to open with this week? Oh, I know. I was listening to, I like Devo today. Some every now and then these guys really tickle my taint, you know? Where the fuck is Devo? Okay. I've been listening a lot to uh, just like jazz too. I've been getting into uh, Vince Girardi. I don't know how to say that guy's name. I really like uh, uh, that stuff. Okay. All right. Shit. Fuck. Come on, Blanca.
Hello, welcome to That's Deep Bro. I'm Christina Pajitsky. Thank you for watching this episode on YouTube. You can watch me talk to myself in an empty room with my two dogs. Now on my YouTube channel, Christina Pajitsky. Uh, I think it's youtube.com slash Christina Pajitsky slash YouTube channel. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Thank you, YouTube, for just letting me make the channel my own name and then having to put the YouTube channel on after. Super fun. So a uh, lot's happening this week. I, um, well, let's see. I got into the great British baking show on Netflix. I'm not a stranger to the great Brit- British baking show. I watched it the, the first season um, when I was up like at four in the morning feeding, breastfeeding my son when he was born and I've rediscovered it and it is the most wonderfully banal uh just like trivial show. And every now and then as a human, you got to do that, right? You have to emotionally invest in the utmost ridiculous thing you can. That's why I think people love The Bachelor. And, and I've, I love every reality show. My favorite one was a show called Groomer Has It about dog groomers. And every week they there's like different grooming challenges to dogs and... I love it when people cry because they couldn't, you know, get the ears clipped perfectly on a schnauzer. And the great British baking show harkens back to a time of reality television, like a more innocent time, a time when I was on road rules. It reminds me of that era um, back when it was kind of newer. And, you know, on road rules, I don't even, nobody got kicked off on my season. Nobody, I don't, we never, I don't think anybody even hooked up on our cast we drank beer every night, maybe not even like there were nights where we were sober and we just chatted and then good night guys. Like n- very little drama. Nobody threw anything at each other. Uh, you know, now of course, I don't even know what the real world is still on, but last I saw that fucking train wreck disaster, you know, it's, uh, just tramps hooking up in hot tubs and, you know, people passing out loaded and the cameras are still rolling on them. Uh, you know, not to say that that shit didn't exist when I was on Road Rules. P.S. Uh, there was a lot of people doing drugs and crazy stuff, but uh, not on not in the Road Rules Winnebago, but, uh, you know, in the real world house, I would hear stories, but they didn't air it. That's the difference is that I think now the salaciousness of it, they, they air it because you got to get those ratings. You got to get those ratings. Um but I love the great British baking show because it allows me to care about utter nonsense. I care about whether or not the scientist's scones will come out right. I care about, uh, oh, my favorite is this girl. Is this season two I'm watching? She's a philosophy student by day. It's British, of course. So everybody's teeth are horrible. Horrible. And I know that that's supposedly a stereotype. Uh, no, it's not. When I lived in England in the 90s, uh, my year abroad, uh, their teeth were horrendous then. And I love that. I love you, British. And I know a lot of you download listening to me in, in the UK. What the fuck is wrong with your teeth? Because, hey, and if the great British baking show is any indication of the pool of teeth happening in your great nation, you guys need help. I love you, Brits. I love you, but man, woof. And uh, anyway, Ruby, that's her name. 
I love Ruby. She's a philosophy student by day. And I've been taking my exams this week. And so I'm very busy. I haven't had time to prepare my scone recipe. I haven't had time to work on me minced pies. And um, poor Ruby. I like her because she has like a real hard life. And then, but she always pulls together the most fantastic pies. Ruby, I absolutely love this rhubarb berry pie. The crust is a nice bake. That's what they always say, the guy with the, the wolf blue eyes. This is a nice, this is a lovely bake. I like the crispiness on the outside. And you can see here that the frangibase or whatever, the framboise has also a nice consistency. The custard is perfect. It's not too eggy. And I like the different flavors. I like the orange mixed with the cinnamon. I like the cardamom mixed with the sameline. And then the the lady who I just adore too, the, the British lady who's the other judge, she's like, she's got that super old school English hair that's like cotton. I don't know what happens to old English ladies, but they um, it looks like cotton candy and they tease it up and back. And her eyes are just these piercing blue, gorgeous. Like she's such a typical, from what I imagine, English looking person. And she always has a kind word to say. I really like the flavors, but I, do, I just don't think it's cooked enough. And it's so funny because these English people, they're so um, like sincere. And that's something Americans, we really kind of manufacture a lot on our reality shows. There's not a lot of uh, genuine feelings anymore on reality television. I, and I just love their earnestness. Like they are so chuffed to use an English word they're so chuffed to be there and like um and when they fail like people cry on that show when their bakes don't go according to plan and I just love it because I get it I've been on reality shows plural did I say plural yes I'm embarrassed but because what happens when you get on a reality show believe it or not a lot of people don't understand they're like how can you be this emotional about a, a a stupid show you're on. Well, because what they do, you have to understand, is they lock you away from the rest of the world. You know, you're you're really sequestered from, at least on the shows I've done, it doesn't look like the, the British baking show, they do this because I think they have time to go home and practice these recipes and then they do them for the show. Which, by the way, then that means that your bake should be fucking perfect. If you've had time to practice and you don't, that's on you, British baker. That's on you. God practice your cookie baking recipe but um on road rules and on that tbs show i did um funniest wins and some other i fucking i've done too many oh and i did a show where i picked up hitchhikers and interviewed them super safe they keep you know you're away from your family you're away from everything you know and your whole world becomes the reality show so like if all you care about is what what they kind of construct this they construct this weird world for you and you start to care about shit that normally you would never care about you know like even on funniest wins because they kept me in a hotel for like almost a month i think um and we'd film every day it was horrible it was so straight like 12 hour 14 hour days every day and we got like one day off maybe every seven days it was brutal and you break down just emotionally from not resting enough not seeing your your dog, your cat, your spouse, your anything, eating shitty food, like you're just being broken down. Um, so you get so caught up. Same with road rules. I mean, it's not that what's happening is that extraordinary. It's just that that's your world. And humans are so, 
we're so fragile emotionally. It's just so, it's really more an exercise in how frail we are. Um, oh my God, how embarrassing. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Thankfully though, you know, I, I always try to pull back when I'm on those shows and, and be like, whoa, wait a minute. What's fucking happening? Am I really this fired up right now? Am I really this emotional because I lost a challenge? Like I, I remember having that ability to kind of step back and go, all right, this is going to air on television. <laughs> Eventually people are going to see how ridiculous I am. And I think the ideal reality show, a star is one who doesn't have that ability to step back and, and go, oh, people are going to see me crying because my cookies didn't bake enough. Right. Oh my God. I'm so embarrassed. Whatever. At least there's a record of me being uh, 20 years old and saying, horribly stupid things every week. That's the best part about uh, being one of the the pioneers of reality television is that there's uh, 13 episodes of me being a total douchebag at 20 years old. Oh, and I have a tramp stamp to remind myself. I got it uh, on Road Rules. I have a Chinese dragon tattooed on my lower back. And this is before uh, tramp stamps were called that. So I'm actually a pioneer not only of reality television, but of the tramp stamp. Isn't that neat? I can't wait to tell my son about that. Mommy, mommy, why? What's a tramp stamp? Why do they call it that? Well, uh, when a guy is drilling you from behind and he blasts his load on your lower back, he's got a nice bullseye. That's why it's called a tramp stamp. You're welcome. So there's the Great British Baking Show in my life, and it's been a godsend. I really like it because I like to watch stupid things at the end of the day. Uh, And also, I got a flat tire last week, which was so funny. And I, you know, I don't even know what people did before cell phones when they had a flat tire. Can you even imagine? I don't even remember what we did. But uh, yeah, so I'm on the 405. I'm on like the hilliest part, too of course, where there's no exit for miles and there's nothing around. It's like that part near the Skirball Center. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's just it's just expansive land. It's like the one part of the 405 that's just fucking empty. Um, anyway, I pull over and luckily there's this park and ride area and I'm sitting there and I, you know, I'm fucking pissed because there goes my day, right? You know, fucking fun. It was the rush hour too. Four o'clock on like, it was a Thursday and I'm just like, mother fuck me. Here it goes. I got to fucking, I don't even, I don't even know if I have AAA anymore. I don't even know what the number is. I'm digging through my purse, you know, like fuck the, and I hadn't eaten yet. Like I had, I had like string cheese and a handful of nuts and it's four o'clock and I was kind of racing home so I could get home to the kid because the nanny gets off at five, eat something, you know, the whole deal. My husband's off on the road. So I got this tire and and I'm like, fuck. But you know what I did? Do you know what I did? I thought to myself, listen, there are two roads I can take. I can go down the road of poor me. Look at this shit. I can't believe I got to deal with this motherfucking. Or I can get my entire life and I can uh, have a little car party. Because you know what? Everything is on the up. Right, I got a, a cell phone that's thoroughly juiced up. No problems there. Check. I found some stray water bottles in the car under the seat because I, I there always there's always food 
in my car. There's always a stray bag of nuts. Uh, There's always loose nuts on the floor, um, a piece of fruit, an apple somewhere wedge, some stale fries from McDonald's from a month ago. So I found my provisions in the car and I called AAA. And of course, because of rush hour, it'll be between uh, 20 minutes and two hours. That's the window. And I'm thinking, well, fuck it. You know what? I got Sirius XM on the car. I'm going to listen to some some Stern. I'm going to catch up on that. Um, and I was starving. So I ordered a DoorDash to my car because it's 2017. God damn it. And you can do that now. I On my phone, I can call AAA and I can order a goddamn cheeseburger. And I swear to God, 45 minutes later, the girl pulls up to my car window. I roll it down. Thank you very much. I got a cheeseburger and onion rings. Onion rings because I'm in crisis, guys. I deserve the onion rings and the ketchup when I'm having a bad day. Is it on the primal diet? No. Does my trainer listen to this podcast? No. Who cares? So I ate the onion rings and I said, fuck it, man. And I sat there and I had a car party and I listened to to my stern and I laughed And then the guy came and then my tire was fixed. And then I rolled home on a donut, not more than 55 miles per hour as instructed. And I, you know, I sat in my fucking car for four hours and I wanted to blow my brains out. But here's the the epiphany that I had about that is that there's two roads you can take, right? The get your life route or old Christina. Now, old Christina would have I think gone the route of motherfuck, poor me. I can't believe this is ha- how can this happen? Jesus Christ, I should have I should have checked the tires before I left. How come I don't do this? The, the flogging myself, you know, the um the getting mad, the injustice of it, the commentary is what actually kills you in bad situations. Now, I don't know how or why or, or what, but that day I was in a clear space. Oh, I just see my shrink, that's why. I'd just been from a shrink and that's probably why I was in a good place. And I let the experience just unfold and, and wash over me. I sat in my car. I waited for fucking AAA for uh, two hours. But you know what? Like I said, I ordered a burger. I ordered some onion rings in my car. I got my, my radio. I got some uh, stale bottled water. I got a cell phone with juice. What more do I fucking need? The nanny agreed to stay late. The kids, fine. everybody's fine. Everything was fine. And I'm just proud of myself because for once in my life, I didn't even think about the situation. And I have to tell you that lately I've been finding that the key to my joy, the key to contentment is to just not give a fuck about it. It's so weird. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what switch flipped in my brain, but lately I've found that the less commentary, the less... I'm talking the commentary in my brain, right? Not the out loud. But the less judgment I put on situations, the better they get. Isn't that a maze? It's not that, you know, that bad things stopped happening to me. They're going to happen every day. You know, some stupid shit's going down daily. But what I found is that the, the less I have to think about it, the less I judge it, the less I stay in the victimy of it, it just kind of happens and I make the best of whatever. You know, I hate to sound like fucking Julie Andrews, but is it is that is that what she sings just a spoonful of sugar? 
right? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in the most delightful way, right? The spoonful of sugar. And for me, it's as simple as, you know, spending $30 on a fucking cheeseburger. That was my sugar. Literally the sugar that helped the medicine go down. But the sugar being not, not literal, but I guess the, the, your thoughts on the thing, you know, and I had this happen to me with my father who came over, oh my God, on, uh, I came over this week a few days ago and, you know, of course, when you hear your parents coming over, what happens? First, the anxiety sets in. Oh, shit. Okay, when can I plan is coming over? Okay, maybe if, he's, if he comes when Tom's here and then the two of them can talk and there's like a buffer. and No, I know. Let's go to the park. And that way we can go to the park. We can distract him and he doesn't have enough time to really sit and focus on me. And I don't have to have like too many deep conversations, right? The, the, the strategizing begins when I know I'm going to see anybody really who causes me um, anguish causes me a little anxiety, right? I used to do that with my mom, right? When she was alive, the, str- the strategic planning of how to, how to mitigate the inevitable suffering of the experience you're about to have. Cause that's what really it is when you see your parents, when you're an adult. And my only goal with my son is he doesn't need to be a genius. He doesn't need to win a Nobel prize. He doesn't need to be a millionaire. He doesn't need to play football professionally. All I want is that when he's 30 years old and I call him, that he takes the fucking call. That's all I want. I don't want... The, the, my nightmare is what I do to my parents, which is I see the, the call pop up and I send it straight to voicemail. My goal as a mother is just when my son is 30 years old, the call comes in and he goes, Hey, mom. Hi, what's going on? That's all I want. Just take my call when you're 30. Then I know I've done the job right. Because, man, that phone rings and I get the immediate anxiety. And when my mother used to call me, oh, it was like I could feel it in my stomach, right? When they fucking call you and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the conversation. I just know she's going to, she's just going to be an asshole and criticize me. So dad announced, no, first, here's the neat part about my exchanges with my father is that now that there are boundaries set, because I have a child, uh, he asked me, when's a good time to come over? Hey, hey, that's interesting. That's called a boundary. That's great. So I, I give him some possibilities. He agrees to them. He shows up on time, which I love. Like, great. Aces all around. Now, here's what I noticed in my interaction with my father. Is that the less I judge that, the less I think about it, the less I run commentary about what's happening, the happier our time together is. Isn't that amazing? And it's not that he's changed. It's not that I've changed. It's not that, well, actually, no, maybe I have changed, but it certainly isn't that he's done anything different. I mean, yes, he has. I should give him credit for following the boundary rules. Awesome. Check. Yes, you're in. Good. But I noticed that like, he's still going to say stuff that Keith fires me up, right? My microwave isn't in the right place. You should put it here because if you put it here, then that's better. And you should put the baby bottle warmer here. See, you know, and um, he's watching me eat. He doesn't, he doesn't like what I'm eating. That's, that's going to make me fat. It's not going to help me lose weight. Uh, I'm praising Ellis too much, too many good jobs in one day. You're only supposed to say good job once a day. Stuff like that, right? He sees me parenting and I'm sure in his mind, I'm just 
the most overparenting parent that ever was. But the difference is, is that now I don't give a fuck. And my relationship with him has gotten so much better. Because why? I don't expect him to be anybody else. I expect him to be the guy that shows up and he's stealing my grapefruits and he's telling me the microwave is in the wrong place and I'm not raising my kid, right? I'm expecting all that shit. So when it happens, I don't get fired up about it. I don't wish you were a different person. That's not true. Sometimes I do, but I don't actively wish it in the moment because I know it's futile. I let it, I let it ride. I let it go. I just let it fucking be. And I'm telling you, I've been so much happier since I've let stuff go. And now, am I good at this all the time? No. No, absolutely not. Are there days where shit catches me and I'm fired up for no reason? Yes, absolutely. And that brings me to another subject I wanted to discuss is that I love your emails. I read them. I don't always answer them. And I apologize. And it's not that I don't uh, respect and love you. It's that I'm usually with my kid and I read these emails and in order for me to write back a thoughtful response, which is what I want to do, I can't do it on fucking two thumbs when my kid is, you know, uh, pulling the dog's tail. I have to focus. So I don't always get around to that time to sit down and focus and I apologize, but please know that I read them and I think about you and I care. The point is there's a lot, there's a theme I read in a lot of these emails. It's a, I'm not saying it's a conscious theme. It's an unconscious, uh, a thing that happens is that people start their emails by saying, hey, everything was great until X, Y, and Z happened. And then I went on this spiral and then I'm out of control. And what the, and, and now what do I do? And the panic of like, hey, this bad thing's happening. And what am I doing? Oh my God, this needs to be fixed immediately. And I, and I get it because I, I'm a human being and I do the same shit, right? But everything was going so great. And then I got into a fight with my husband and then we fucking hate each other. Everything's terrible. And how can I get back to everything being okay again? Because I can't stand this chaos. This chaos is, this is the anomaly. The chaos is the anomaly. And I'm, I've just had this epiphany this week that I thought I, well, recently, maybe not this week, but I wanted to share with you that uh, it's not like, from what I've realized in therapy and life, it's not like life is hunky-dory. Everything's great. Let's keep it this way so that nothing bad happens. It's that your existential crisis comes. It just comes. There's holes in your fucking psyche. Even if you're in therapy, my therapist says this all the time. There's like, there's just stuff. And there's no such thing as everything's great. And then all of a sudden this horrible thing, like, yeah, it does happen. I shouldn't say there's no such thing, but that's kind of inaccurate. Because I, my belief is that, you know, life is the shit that happens. And for me, the times of, um, nothing's happening. Everything's great. That's the anomaly. And those are the moments that I want to cling to, but I don't, but get stoked on those moments. And then I, I think most of life is the crisis, quite honestly, not, not severe, but in little. And I think it's the panicking about those times that gets us into trouble. Right? So here's my thinking. It, it's not that the, the bad thing is happening. That's the anomaly. I and mean, that's, that's the problem, actually. It's not the bad thing. It's how do you react, okay? Shit hits the fan, and do you go, oh my God, the shit hits the fan. What the fuck am I? I have to get out of this. I have to get out of this immediately. I have to get back to being in a good place. Or if you can tolerate 
the uncomfortability, if you can tolerate it for a little bit and just cool the fuck out, right? Got a flat tire, but can I tolerate? Can I cool the fuck out? Can I just kind of relax into the shittiness for a minute here? Because if you do that, I've, I've just found personally in life that it's a lot easier to just go, okay, guess what? I don't know if you've ever surfed before, but if you ride the wave, right? That's a great metaphor. That's why surfing is like the most spiritual thing on the planet. There's the fucking awesome wave. You're on it. And then it crashes and you eat shit and you're suddenly thrust underwater, right? And there's a few things you can do. You can panic. You can freak the fuck out. But guess what happens if you freak the fuck out? You try to pop up. You try to do whatever. You you might hit your head on some rocks. You might The surfboard might come and fucking hit you on the head. You know, you don't panic. You kind of have to chill, right? When the wave, when the current takes you, kind of chill for a minute. Let the wave wash over you. That's what I do. I don't know if that's right, but I let it in the past. I'm not a surfer now, but I've done it before. You let the wave go because it does. It goes. Stay chill. Don't try to do anything crazy. When you feel that the water has receded, when it's still-ish, then you pop up. Not too fast because you don't know if that board's above your head, but then you pop up. The point is when the wave, the storm comes, calm the fuck down, right? Don't worry. It's normal. The storm is the normal part. The existential crisis is the normal part. The, the good times, in my opinion, that's the anomaly. When life is clear, placid. You know, you ever seen the ocean in the morning? Sometimes when I lived in Redondo, I'd go down the water and I would watch people. Uh, what's that shit where they stand on the board and they paddle kayaking? Is that what that fucking shit is? And I'd see these people doing that. And and uh, it's not called kayaking, but they stand on the board with a pole. And there's times in, you can do that on the ocean, right? Where it's still and it's like a lake. And that's rare and that's cool. Like, oh, enjoy that. But then don't panic when the wave comes because it will come. And don't turn your back on that shit. Never turn your back on the ocean, people, for a reason. So now what happens? Now how do people get in trouble? Here's how you get in trouble. You turn your back on the ocean. Quite literally. You know what happens when you turn your back on the ocean? The wave takes you over and you're caught off guard. And now you're sucked in. And now you're panicked because you're caught off guard. And what do you do? How do you react? So the same goes with crisis. If you're in the shit, you can be cool, you can relax, or you can make, what? Bad decisions, right? I'm going to fucking order a double cheese pizza. No, I did order a cheeseburger and onion rings, but I cut it off, right? That was it. That was the last piece of shit thing I ate that day. I didn't eat again. We're done. I, don't eat, I haven't had onion rings since I don't eat it. But I'm saying we order a double pizza, and then we get the bucket of ice cream. And then I'm going to go, I don't know, call up the ex-boyfriend, the abusive ex-boyfriend. We're going to hook up. And then I'm going to quit my job and then I'm going to be broke. And then I'm going to, you know what I mean? It's the spiraling effect, the bad decisions that come out of the bad times. That's how people get fucked is they make big decisions when they're in the crisis. And that's why you got to remain conscious, right? Guys, just remain uh, fucking cognizant of what's happening. That's the danger really I found in life is like making major decisions when you're just in it, when you're in a bad place. Don't do that. Don't, I don't even answer emails when I'm in a bad place. I don't even pick up the fucking phone. If I'm in a funk and I, I got like a business call or something, I just wait. I just fuck, just wait. Don't worry. And that's another thing too. Don't fucking worry. It, it's, it, there's time. There's time for everything. Nothing is that urgent. Some things are, but not, not all the time. And also I've noticed in these emails, it's so funny, is that um, people don't feel entitled to their story. 
What do I mean by that? What I mean is, is that they'll start the email by saying like, you know, um, I've got a sister who is, uh, I don't know, mentally, mentally retarded and I've got uh, an alcoholic mom and our house was set on fire and, uh, I uh I haven't I've been locked in a closet for uh, 2 years. But you know that does but my story is not as bad as other people's. I mean, I know there are people that have it far worse. <laughs> How many I mean I've I've done that before where I'm like, yeah, I had this x y and z in my history, but it's not the worst thing. I mean, there's people that have it way worse, right? And that's a that's a normal thing to say, and I know that. But A, there's always somebody worse off than you. Uh, yeah. And B, so what? It doesn't mean that you're not entitled to your story. And it's interesting because it's always the people that have the most trauma who I've spoken with, um, who just totally negate their own suffering, who don't honor their own stories. And it's because you, you probably, the teller of the story, weren't given much empathy at all, right? When you would t- say something to mom and dad, I'm guessing, hey, I, you know, this happened to me. Oh yeah, well, so what? This happened to me. Uh, what about my story? You know, you're not given empathy growing up, so why would you empathize with yourself? And I'm not saying that you should dwell on the story by any means. And if anything, this podcast has been about not dwelling on the story and how to get the fuck past your story. Because I'm interested in the story. The story is always going to be a part of me, of you, of us, of what. But to not dwell on it, right? To know the suffering, know what it is, but not to stay in it forever and ever and also know that some stuff's going to set you back and you're going to relive some of that suffering every now and then, but it's not the end of the world. But anyways, for everybody emailing me ever, just know that you're entitled to your story. You're always entitled to your story. I, I, it bums me out. And I, you know, it fucking bums me out. Okay. About last week, the psychics. Oh, the psychics. Let's see. I got... Several, several emails from people about, because uh, I put a call out there. Are you a psychic? Are you an intuitive? Can you talk to dead people? Are you a medium? Tell me about it. Is it real? Is it bunk? And I have to say, the overwhelming responses have been that it is, drumroll, bunk, 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 bunk. Just look at the fucking bums you hang around with. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. So I have one email actually from a, a woman who did say, yes, I can communicate with the, with dead people and generally within a year of their passing, which would kind of make sense. She's like, I feel their presence around me. Um, that's one person. But overwhelming. I'll, I'll read you one. I will not use this person's real name, obviously. Uh, it says, it's all BS. I worked at blah, 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 this website. I decided to do it because I'm good at reading people because I just can. It's not psychic. It's just a developed trait. But I do have an ability to feel and understand the energy of someone mixed in with reading them. I wanted to make extra money because I felt I could just have the cam on and do a few readings a day. It turned into drama. Like people telling me about other psychics and stupid shit that I could care less about. It was mostly girls, young girls, I assume, by how they typed and phrased the questions, all asking relationship advice. Then you would have those same girls 
hang out in the room and start psychic reading each other while they think they are giving me readings. I'm not sure. I don't understand what that means. But anyway, I ended up getting fired because I would piss people off by not reading tarot. And when I would be asked to predict something, I would give a speech on how I won't do that. They all do that too. It's not possible. And I'm not going to play with someone's emotions just to temporarily feel a warm and fake fuzzy. I use psychological tricks to bait people to my room from my profile photo and the colors I use to how I had my intro video. I worked to fill my room up with females who just were cat ladies in training. I felt sick and bad because it was just sad. People coming in at times in their lives in times in their lives that are bad and seeking out help and deflection from life. It's all people who are sad with problems that are beyond what I care to associate myself around. I honestly feel it was a certain demographic of society that there was hanging out because if you check that site that he wrote for, it's just rooms of people who hang out on the psychic free chats. If I wanted to lie to people for a living, I would be a cop or lawyer or studio executive. Yeah. Studio exec is right. Okay. Okay. All right. Lawyer. Okay. Okay. So thank you. Yeah. Um that's fucking cool. Thank you for for being honest. I uh you know, I always ask people uh, the truth because I, I and I don't want to ever shame people like look, dude, that's what you did, that's what you fucking did and whatever. And also, I do think it provides a good service to people in need. It sounds like you provide comfort or whatever and hey man, isn't that what it's all about, right? So, there you go. Um Okay. Oh, I like this one. I thought I would. Uh... Woo! Is that right, Betsy? You have something to say? Now, this one really tugs on my taint strings. Oh, gosh. Boys. Boys are so sensitive. It's so cute. I have to put my metal straw in. Thank you guys for emailing me. And I fucking keep forgetting I'm in the other room. Mm, okay. You know, it's so interesting. I think men are so sensitive and it's so sad that our society does not allow them to express it. But here's an email from a gentleman. I won't say his name, 24 year old college student. Um, and all my life, I never seem to get the girl. I feel like I'm in such an awkward position. You know, the saying, it's not the amount of friends, but the quality. Well, I'm really lucky to have so many friends that I'd consider very close, but the only thing that seems to be missing is that connection you get with being in a relationship. And I realize that I've done this subconsciously to make up for the lack of a deeper connection. Okay. So what happens was this weekend, this happened, uh, he goes to this college, I made a bunch of friends, three girls, and uh, a guy. They're my best friends here, and over the last two months, we've been hanging out nonstop and traveling together. I've had a thing for one of the girls, and this past weekend, we all went to San Francisco. Um, so in my mind, I thought it was, okay, this is it. This is the weekend I'll make my move. But it became obvious she wasn't about it, and that her and the other guy had a thing. Oh, boy. Okay. I tell myself no hard feelings because they're are my friends regardless and that's true but it's also kind of fucked that this has happened to me so much that I can so easily let it wash over me and just chalk it up to I'll get over this one like all the other ones oh the fuck that this is happening to me that I can so easily let it wash over me oh I guess I'm just a bit frustrated with being told you're a great guy I'm always told how kind and generous I am I'm a mean cook and I'm always told by friends parents whichever girl gets me will be so lucky so what gives 
What I'm trying to get at is how does one deal with loneliness? Was there ever a period of time before you met Tom that you wondered you will ever find the right person? Oh, my sweet Janes. I love little boys. I just love you guys. Yeah, of course. Uh, there's a moment, I think, in everybody's life where you panic and you go, oh my God, I'm going to be a barren spinster forever. Um, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to die alone. And, um, and uh, I'm going to end up on an episode of Hoarders and I'm going to collect beanie babies. And, uh, and that's it. I'm going to die. But um, yeah, and then you realize that, okay, that's a little far off. You're going to meet somebody. No, I think there's a few things going on here, my love. Um, how do you deal with loneliness? I mean, it sounds like you're, you've got friends, but the connection you really want is a relationship. You need a girlfriend. You're 24. It's time. Um, well, let's start with the good news. Let's start with the good news. You are a great catch. If the parents are telling you you're a great catch, you're a good catch. You're a good boy. And the problem with you, my love, you're 24 and you're in the age of hookup. You're in the era of good times. You're in the era of uh, dating apps and, and disposable relationships. I fucking hated my 20s for this reason because I am marriage. I'm a marriage monogamy person. I'm not a dater. I, don't, I wouldn't know what to do with dating apps. I wouldn't know. I hated it. Fucking hated it. So unfortunately, my love... This decade is going to be a little tricky for you because you you are what is known as a fucking good guy. You're marriage material, boo-boo. And in their 20s, the girl doesn't want marriage material. Not yet. Maybe. Some girls do. But overall, the culture dictates in your 20s that you got to hook up, you got to bang, you got to score chicks. And, you know, not everybody's built that way. I had a really hard time doing all that stuff. And here's the good news is that you're going to find the girl who is totally good and awesome like you and down for the marriage stuff. And she might be already there. But the problem is in the 20s, you know, good guys don't win out until they're 28. (laughs) Good guys start to get more valuable when women want to get married. That's the truth of it. So here's what you got to do, my love. I don't know. It's good. It's possible to find a good girl. You go to a nice college. I'm not going to say where. There's a lot of good girls, but that's also, no, it's also kind of a party place where, yeah. Okay. So you got a lot of sluts around you, I think. Okay. The point is, uh, it sounds like you're getting put in the friend zone a lot. You're going after the girl that you get to know because you're a good guy. And that's what fucking good guys do. Can't do that in your 20s. Unfortunately, you got to kind of uh, get out of the friend zone. You got to get you got to get out of that quick. So if you like a girl, let's say there's somebody you're into, don't fucking hang out for a long time and get to be her best friend and the thing with girls that age in your 20s is once a guy becomes your buddy, you're out of it. You're out of the fuckability zone cuz a girl if she's into you, it's those beginnings. It's those hot beginnings. You got to get in there. You got to get in her pants early. Because by the time she's telling you about some other guy she's into, that's over, boo-boo. She's never going to fuck you. Once a woman sees you as a friend, men, forget it, bro. It's real hard. 
Now, there are the anomalies. There are the cases where the, they've been best friends and one day they somehow fall in love. I don't know how the fuck that works. I don't know. That's I never really, I don't that's never happened to me because I've always been attracted and then you, the guy makes the move when, when she's still hot for you. So the girl's got to be into you. And number one, sexually attracted to you. You got to take a girl out on a legit date. Do they fucking still do that anymore? Take her out. You got to kiss. You got to kiss her early. First date, get the kiss. Don't get in the friend zone. That's the death of the good guy. So you can still be a good guy. I'm not telling you to be a douchebag because I, I don't think that that pays to be somebody else. It's never a good thing. We got to push back, push past your good guyness, and you got to fucking nut up, man up. And you got to be a little bit of a predator here. Now, I don't mean to be a fucking rapist. I'm just saying you got to be a little more, you got to get in touch with the hunter, right? The masculine energy. Man is the hunter, woman is the, the prey. I'm sorry, that's just how it goes. And when you try to switch that, it doesn't. It's harder. It it just fucking is harder. I don't know why. The woman has to be pursued. The man has to chase. That's how it fucking goes. That's how it goes in the wild. That's courtship. Now imagine if a fucking a uh, a uh, 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 lion wants to eat a gazelle out in the fucking Serengeti, and the lion goes to the gazelle and goes, excuse me, but uh, do you think it'd be okay if I can um, later, if it's okay with you, if I pounced on you and I uh, ate you and um, yeah, is that cool with you? How, how does that feel? And the gazelle's like, go fuck yourself. No, it doesn't work that way. The lion stalks the prey, knows how to get in there and then pounces on that shit. Takes it. <laughs> now, do I say attack women? No, that's not the point. The point is you have to be a little calculated. You have to be a bit of a lion. You have to be... No, it's not the women hunt in the lion world. Whatever male hunter is in the forest, in the jungle, whatever the fuck that is. You got to be calculated. You got to be a bit of a... You get just a, just a sprinkle of a douchebag in the beginning. And by that, I just mean ask her out on a fucking legit date. Don't go overboard. Don't spend hundreds of dollars on dinner because that's lame too. Then you're overdoing it. You know what's nice? A, a, a movie, a bar. I don't take her to a cool bar. Have cool cocktails, little snacks, tapas. Take her home and then smooch her. And if she doesn't kiss you, she's not there. She's not into it. And then you know. And then you're out. On to the next one. On to the next one. Because in the twenties, that's all it's about, boo boo. You, you know, you're not really going to find the serious serious. It's very rare. So a guy like you, your currency is going to go up significantly in your late 20s. Now your currency is low because you're the good guy and the girls want douchebags right now. That's the, I'm sorry, but it's just the truth. They want douchebags. It's unfortunate. And then the girl matures, right? And she starts looking for the husband. She starts looking for someone to procreate with. And that's when you're going to be the winner. That's when your, your stock is going to be at an all-time high. And then you can pick the gazelle of your choice. You can pick... Which of your prey you're going to want. Okay, boo-boo? Mark my words. You're just in a bad time. This is the bad time for, for good boys like you. Don't ever, you know, don't, don't, don't boo-hoo about how you are. Your character's perfect. You're perfect. These sluts want, want douchebags right now. That's the problem. These girls are fucking sluts right now. We all were, okay, in our 20s. I'm not judging. I'm not fucking throwing it out there. All right. Yeah, get out of the fucking friend zone. You got to do that first. Okay. Uh, I had somebody write in about, oh, this is, uh, should I close on? What's a good one? 
Um, this one's interesting. Um, I've spent the last 12 months going to therapy. This listener writes, uh, during my therapist told me that I am a highly sensitive person. Now, as a 39 year old Australian male being told you are highly sensitive, uh, was initially a blow to my masculinity. My therapist gave me some literature about it and being highly sensitive is not about being a pussy. It's more about having heightened sensitivity to the world, your senses, intuition. Then um, he asked me, have I ever thought about, have I ever heard about um, highly sensitive person? Yes, I have. They're called HSPs. And um, about a decade ago, a friend handed me a book called The Highly Sensitive Person. And uh, anybody who thinks they might be, you should check it out. So here's, here's the criterion. I, this is on their website hsperson.com and it doesn't mean you're a pussy if you're a guy and you're a highly sensitive person at all it's there's nothing to do with um you know being a coward or anything like that so here's the criterion guys okay listen are you an hsp are you easily overwhelmed by such things as bright lights strong smells coarse fabrics or sirens nearby oh do you get rattled when you have a lot to do in a short amount of time do you make a point of avoiding violent movies and TV shows? Do you need to withdraw during busy days into bed or a darkened room or some other place where you can have privacy and relief from the situation? Do you make it a high priority to arrange your life to avoid upsetting or overwhelming situations? Do you notice or enjoy delicate or fine scents, tastes, sounds, or works of art? Do you have a rich and complex inner life? Can you hear me nodding my head? Yes, for those of you who aren't watching this. <laughs> when you were a child, did your parents or teachers see you as sensitive or shy? Uh, yeah. So there's a self-test on hsperson.com that you can take this test. Um, and you can. And there's a book, The Highly Sensitive Person. Um, your trait is normal. It says 15, 20% of the population um, are HSPs. It is innate. Over, oh, it says it's innate, it's genetic. In other words, you are more aware than others of subtleties. Mm-hmm. You are also more easily overwhelmed. This trait is not a new discovery, but it has been misunderstood. Understood. Because HSPs prefer to look before entering new situations, they're often called shy. But shyness is learned, not innate. In fact, 30% of HSPs are extroverts. Although the trait is often mislabeled as introversion, it has also been called inhibitedness, fearfulness, or neuroticism. Yep, that's me. Some HSPs behave in these ways, but it is not innate to do so and not the basic trait. Sensitivity is valued differently in different cultures. That is so true. In our culture, it's you're, you're just considered a fucking loser, right? It's just so stupid. You know, I never understood why our society privileges extroversion to introversion because uh, introverts are generally the ones that contribute the most to society, right? When you think about it, the scientists, um, you know, the guy that's developing the cure for cancer is not out there fucking showboating everything, right? It's so dumb. The people, it's always the introverts, right? The sensitive people, the nurses, the doctors, the scientists, like I mentioned, the the school teachers, the midwives, whatever, the other, it's so dumb in our society. It's just how loud you can be. People think you're, you're smart and it's just the opposite. At least fuck in my life. I've seen that. So yes, this is called the highly sensitive person. If you, if any of this resonates with you, I highly recommend checking it out. Kind of, it helped me like a decade ago 
Cause all pretty much all this stuff I like I won't even I hate fucking loud sounds. I hate concerts. I don't I don't like any of this stuff. And uh it probably comes from having a pretty good childhood, I'm guessing. No, I'm just kidding. It's probably, it says it's genetic. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm just neurotic. That's not just me. Okay, one more. Uh I love this shit. This is making me laugh. We just had the Oscars, so um Okay, this guy writes in. This guy, uh, John's been sending home run emails lately. He's been asking me stuff. Uh, remember the, was it the servers? Why why are people rude to servers? And this is the one he just noticed. Why do people feel the need to fake and go over the top with humility? You've mentioned Garth giving shout outs to the lighting guy. This is on your mom's house. But I'm talking about people that respond to good work or nice job with something like, man, I'm just trying to catch up to you. <laughs> It makes me want to take back the compliment and say something mean. Why can't people take compliments? Are we so conditioned to people saying rude stuff that kindness makes uncomfortable? Is it an attempt to milk the moment and get more compliments? Interesting. Jesus, just say thank you and move on. Yeah, why the over humility? I agree. I, you know, on your mom's house, I make fun of Garth Brooks. Tom and I both do uh, because it's such fucking bullshittery. You know, he's like, oh, you, 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 this is all about you. It's about the lighting guy. It's a bit skee Yeah. Everybody else is so special. Not me. I'm not the one. I'm not the guy whose name is on the marquee who's selling 5 million tickets. It's not about me. It's all about them. Well, I think, you know, uh, it, you know, in sincerity here that the Garth Brooks phenomenon, I think a lot of that is because of country music, because of the, the market, the demographic that they very much privilege realness. And if you even have a whiff of bullshit on you, like your fucking career is over, you know? And I think Garth is well aware, like, hey man, if I don't fucking cater to these people, there goes the house, there goes the boat, there goes Trisha, uh, there goes my kid's college. So he's very aware, I think, of what he's doing because it, it, it reeks insincere to me. I just, I see it and I'm like, oh, that's a fucking big, big phony baloney. Uh, Cause it's over the top. Right. And, and I, I honestly think in, in his situation, I think he does see himself as better than the lighting guy. He is, he thinks he is better than the production crew. And that's why he's working so hard to elevate them. Like, no, no, you're the stars of the show. Like he's trying to make them feel better about themselves, even though they don't feel bad about themselves. Now that's the the rub here. They feel fine. I'm pretty sure just being the introverts, right? Just being the lighting guys. By the way, I say just facetiously because without the lighting guy, there is no fucking show for the night. Really? He can't perform in the dark. So yes, they're all important, but do they need the public accolades as much? No, I think Garth's projecting his needs. He needs Garth needs the, uh, accolades the attention the spectacle of praise and so he's projecting that need onto the lighting guys and all that um yeah i know i know you're talking about this phony fucking humility stuff oh just what not as good as you not not as good like oh man i think it's um i think it's a way to just uh it's kind of a fake way of ingratiating yourself to people i think that's really what's going on Cause I've seen like corporate douchebags do that a lot in our business and show business. That is like a number one tactic to, uh, to get someone to like you is the fake flattery stuff. 
you know, oh, I, just, I love your work. I love you. You're so amazing. And you're like, you fucking don't even know what you're talking about, do you? You've never watched an episode of this show. You've never, never. Yeah. It's just manipulation, people. That's all fucking manipulation, I think. It's interesting stuff, though. Anyways. Um, all right. That's it. I got to go. It's time to go um, hang out with the fam. We're going to take baby jeans out. We're going to go out into the world today. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know. The sun's shining. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can email me. That's deep road podcast at gmail.com. And without you, there is no show. Without the listeners, there is no show. Without your emails, there is no show. To sound like Garth. So guys, you know, circle back, put a pin in it. Um, Let's throw that against the wall. What are, what are some other douchebag corporate phrases we can incorporate into this? Let's circle back and uh, let's uh, let's do this again next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching on YouTube. If you have, uh, come see me do stand-up live. Um, look at my website, thousandranch.com, spelled out thousandranch.com. Get tickets to shows, buy a t-shirt, blah, blah, blah. Have a great week. And um, stay deep, bros. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans This ain't your mom's house It's a different theme Gotta be critically thinking Like you caught up at a cocktail party Our thoughts start to sink in John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates Got us talking all properly, topically Just a comedian discussing these philosophies Serious questions, silly people What's that? That's deep, bro it is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep.